0: Now, in the book of uh, Philippians, as our scripture reading will come from the book of Philippians, chapter four, one of the prison epistles, as Paul writes here as he is under house arrest, he writes here in the book of Philippians to address a very common and common problem, common struggle for many These days, who are facing anxiety and worries about the many things that are going on, not only in our country, but in our world. Very familiar passage, perhaps, to some of you. Philippians chapter 4. Here Paul writes, writes this letter to the church at Philippi, a Roman outpost. Philippians chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verses 6 through 9. He writes here and says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely... Whatever is of good repute, if there is anything excellent or anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let's bow in a word of prayer together before we begin our study. Our Lord in heaven, we come to you, our God of peace our God of order, our God. We pray, Father, that you would illumine our minds and grant to us insight into your word that we might embrace, Father, the truths that are here. So, Father, once again, open our eyes that we might see great and mighty things in thy law. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I received an email from a stranger. We were corresponding about some things about a week and a half ago. You know, my email address is Joe Lum or Joe J. Lum at something. And he asked me, am I Joe the plumber? And I responded in an email and said, no, and blah, blah, blah. And I signed it, Joe the pastor. (laughs) Joe the plumber has been characterized, if you're very familiar with what's been going on in our nation, as... Sort of the classic characterization of the average working class American. Worried about the future. Worried about finances. Joe the plumber has been the subject of a number of things. They even make t-shirts. Maybe I should buy one, come to think of it. It Says Joe the plumber. The subject of our nation's economy, as you know, has been on the forefront on the evening news, night after night. There's a lot of fear and anxiety. With everything that is related to that... Evening news reports that things are going from bad to worse and may even get worse yet still. People are very anxious, worried about various things. Bad news, it seems like, every week. From MSNBC reported that foreclosure activities have risen 71% from the third quarter over the same period last year and nearly... Three-quarters of a million homes received at one, at least one, foreclosure-related notice from July through September. All the properties for sale in the United States, Realty Track, which is a tracking, tracking website of those who have received notices that they're behind on their payments on their homes, estimates that perhaps by the end of the year, one million families or homeowners will receive such notices. People are losing their jobs, nearly a half a million, nearly a half a million in our weak economy, signs of recession, etc. Jobless claims, benefits have gone out to that many. People have lost a significant portion of their retirement. They may be losing their jobs, possibly losing their homes. I've read articles, people are skipping out on seeing the doctor, not taking medication because they're under financial strains, and it's taken toll on Americans in the form of stress. Evening news, Dr. Nancy Snyderman, October 7th. More than one-half of Americans recently polled report increased stress over the past year, and one-third categorize their stress levels as extreme, October 7th. NBC News also reported that the American Psychological Association reports that 80% of people cite the economy as a source of serious stress and has resulted in depression, anxiety, sleeplessness, unhealthy eating habits, unhealthy exercise habits, etc. In addition, there's plenty that the news brings forth about things that we are concerned about. Contaminated food and products from overseas, the future of our country and the upcoming elections. The things that their children face to the wars that our country is involved in. There are many unknowns that face our families and people here, even here in our church. And people who are perhaps much more prone to anxiety and worry. People who are perhaps insecure or consumed with what does somebody think of me? How do they view me? How do I appear to others? How do people look at me? Frankly, there's no shortage of things that people can worry and be concerned about. In counseling, counselors today are seeing more and more individuals, according to the news, that are suffering from stress related to the things that are happening in our country. Anxiety, etc. There are normative concerns that we're not talking about the areas of anxiety and concern that are... that lead to worry that the Bible talks about. There are normative concerns that people have. It's wise, of course, to wash your hands before you eat or look both ways before you cross the street or put on your seatbelt when you get in behind the wheel, etc. But we're not talking about those things. We're talking about the things that are non-normative, those things that consume our minds, anxieties, that are perhaps even consuming, debilitating, or sometimes even emotionally paralyzing. We talk about various concerns that people have, phobias even, social phobias of embarrassment not wanting to appear silly or being embarrassed in public such that it paralyzes them to be in front of people or phobias of snakes or flying or enclosed spaces or even going outside of one's home because of a fear that there is no escape. And can even go to the extent of having panic attacks, so we hear. Dr. Wedling, who writes in Pharmacology for Pastoral Counselors, writes, quote, People with panic disorders suddenly suffer intense, overwhelming fear for no apparent reason. Those who suffer a panic attack for the first time rush to the hospital because they are convinced they are having a heart attack. Physical symptoms are prominent in panic attacks Sweating, heart palpitations, hot or cold flashes, trembling, choking or smothering sensations, shortness of breath, chest discomforts, faintness, unsteadiness or tingling sensation. You may even hear of post-traumatic stress disorder. PTSD occurs among people who have survived a severe trauma That is, outside of the realm of normal human experience, such as rape, assault, military combat, or witnessing a terrible accident or crime, the afflicted person re-experiences the traumatic event through nightmares or flashbacks, unquote. How do people deal with worry or anxiety that is out of control? Well, today, the secular standard treatment is, the administration of drugs and then some type of psychotherapy or behavior modification. For those who suffer from obsessive-compulsive disorder, there is not only drugs, but there are controlled environments in which the therapy approaches to help them to face their fears in a controlled environment, to rehabituate them, in behavior modification and response. People today, however, turn... To their favorite drug of choice many times, and that is alcohol. You've probably heard the saying that alcohol or drinking, quote-unquote, calms the nerves. statistic by the U.S. Bureau of Census some 20 years ago indicates that about 140 million people, or 61% of the U.S. population, or a little bit less than that, I should say now, drink alcohol, Thirteen million are addicted to it. And back then, at least, some 20 years ago, it was the third largest health problem in the United States behind heart disease and cancer. Others deal with worry and anxieties by various means. They deny it. They will run to some other form of pleasure like eating or by hibernating or by taking things to an extreme taking things into their own hands. The Lord knows our propensity to worry and become anxious though, whether it's worrying about grades that we might get in school to what type of job that we might have or being unemployed or paying for our home or making sure that we have our physical needs met. God knows our weaknesses as people. God knows and He cares about our propensity and our inclinations to be fearful. To be afraid. God knows that we are frail people. And He hasn't left us without His prescription for facing the difficulties that we face. God hasn't left us without any instruction as to how we're to deal with anxiety and fear. And things that the world would say, well, this is a sickness that you have. God has given us a way that we can maintain peace in a world that is filled with worry and anxiety in which the evening news continues to flash at us, bad news each and every day. And so in this passage that we look at today in Philippians chapter 4, God gives us a command that is reflective even of the Sermon on the Mount. He gives us a cure, He gives us a result, and He gives us a way to maintain that peace in a world that is often seen as falling apart, not only socially, but many times morally as well. So let's look into our text as we look into Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, where Paul writes here, the command of God, for it says, be anxious for nothing, and the command is simply, do not be anxious, or in other words, stop worrying. It's repeated, and we think to ourselves of the things that we've learned from the Scriptures. It reminds us of Matthew chapter 6. If you turn in your Bibles there, it's a very well-known passage in which we can review and Remind ourselves of what God has said, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34. In this book that is written by Matthew, it is written about a Jew, by a Jew, to Jews. In Matthew chapter 6, the well-known Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus is standing, perhaps by the Sea of Galilee, and he is preaching this message to the people that have gathered there. And he uses illustrations that he sees right around them near the Sea of Galilee. And you can picture it in your mind's eye. For he says in Matthew 6.25, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. As what you will eat, what you will drink, nor for your body. As what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? Where will we wear? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The Lord Jesus in this statement says a number of times, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried. Verse 31, do not worry then. Verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow. Biblically, God commands us very clearly, don't be worried, don't be anxious. Worrying is a command to us. It's not a suggestion. It is a command. And if it is a command, then worrying is sinful. Being anxious about our life and about the future is sinful. When we don't trust in the Father's provision for us, we don't trust in God's provision or that God is in control or God will take care of us, He will take care of our families, He will take care of our future. We're reminded and encouraged as God has taken care of the flowers and He's clothed them and He's taken care of the birds not to worry. The world perhaps though approaches it. In a different way, the world's approach is to manage one's anxiety, to manage one's worry, so that it is controlled. Even Christian counselors will take that view. A couple of very well-known Christian counselors write in their book, We set aside, we suggest setting aside 15 minutes in the morning and another 15 minutes in the evening for active worry. If concerns surface during other times of the day, the person should jot them down on a card and vow to deal with them during the designated period. Worry-free living involves confining the natural worry we all feel into a designated time slot of only 1% of a 12-hour day. Unquote. That's not God's teaching. God doesn't say, well, it's alright to sin for 15 minutes every day. It's not right to confine it to 1%. Well, if that's all right, then you know what? There's so many other things that we could decide to do in addition to that during that 1% of the day. Biblically, though, we look at what Jesus commands. He says, do not worry. In this particular passage it says, do not be anxious about anything, time and time again. It reminds us, be anxious for what? For some things? No. Or that's understandable, for those serious things? No. It says, be anxious for nothing. Nothing. That is the word that is used there. So, when we worry, we are anxious, we need to come to God confess our sin of worrying and to come and ask God what? and that is the second thing the cure for anxiety the cure for anxiety is that what Paul writes here thankful prayer thankful prayer says do not be anxious for nothing be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God The words there, prayer, supplication, request, are all synonyms. All synonyms that can be seen in the same light. To pray, to call upon God, to ask of God, to present to God our requests. With what? With gratitude. With gratitude, with thanksgiving. We're to be people who come to God and cast our cares upon Him. For He cares for you, it says in 1 Peter 5, 7. When we feel anxious, we feel worried, we are to pray. And we are to pray with gratitude, with thanksgiving, with the attitude that has a thankful heart. Not just pray and ask God. I mean, people, we pray, but oftentimes it is. We pray and we say, I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that. And we forget all that God has already granted to us. So it couples it with thankfulness. And the attitude that we're to have. And when we thank God for what we do and what we want, that is that is what God has called us to have a grateful heart. We are blessed. You see, thankfulness turns the heart from focusing so much on the problem to what, and from focusing what we're lacking to focusing on all that God has done for us and what He has given to us. It is to pray with thanksgiving. And I love the fact that Thanksgiving is coming up. Thanksgiving is coming up. And I love the holiday because it is a holiday that's not filled with all of the material trappings of our culture that maybe Christmas is. And it's a celebration. And and our focus is so much more oftentimes on the Lord and what He has given to us during that time than some of the other holidays of gift giving. It's a celebration and a thankful time. We can grant, give God thanks when we face anxiety in addition to coming to Him in prayer. Thirdly, the result is this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, I believe the King James is transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The result is that there will be a supernatural peace. When others would be worrying about that same thing that you face, God in His grace gives us that peace. God in His grace gives us that peace that surpasses all comprehension. A peace that's beyond human understanding. A peace that's beyond human plans or therapies or human devices. A peace that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. The word guard there comes from a military term and they would be very familiar with it. Having Roman garrisons right there in Philippi as a Roman outpost. They very well knew what it was to guard, for that is a military term. And that God will give that peace to you to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus when we pray with a thankful heart about the concerns and cares that we have. So, how do we maintain what God gives? That peace that transcends all understanding? Because many times that can be so short-lived, we feel. We fall easily back into worrying about the future, worrying about our life or whatever it might be. How do we maintain that? Paul gives us two aspects. One is thinking correctly and behaving correctly. Thinking correctly, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, pure, lovely, good repute, if there is any excellence or anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The means to maintaining peace and a state of mind which is not filled with worry and anxiety is going to be contingent upon what we think, that we think about what is right and true. Many times people dwell often on the what-ifs in life. The what-ifs. What if I eat this and I get sick? What if I go outside and I catch a cold? What if I shake somebody's hand and uh, I catch some communicable disease? What if I get trapped in this small place? Or what if I die? Average. I read some statistics last week that an average person's anxiety is focused on 40% things that will never happen, 30 things in the past that can't be changed, 12% on criticisms by others, mostly untrue, 10% about health, which gets worse with stress, and only 8% about real problems that will be faced. Our thinking is key to not worrying. The scriptures remind us time and time again about the importance of our thoughts. And we even talked about that this morning in our Sunday Bible class. How Romans 12 tells us what? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Do not be conformed like a like the picture there is of a signet ring placed into a, a press that that would be a seal. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do I change? How do I change? I changed by the renewal of my mind that I might be what? Able to prove the will of God is that which is good, acceptable, perfect. My mind is transformed by the word of God which helps me to think correctly. And thinking is critical in a culture that lives off of pragmatic means or experiential means. Asking, well, what works? That must be the way to go. Or what makes me feel good? That must be the way to do it. Instead, we are to be thinking people, to think in a way that would please God, to think biblically. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a very well-known preacher, talks about the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus commands us not to worry, and he says, quote, Faith, according to our Lord's teaching, in this paragraph, is primarily thinking. The whole trouble with a man of little faith is that he does not think. He allows circumstances to bludgeon him. That is the real difficulty in life. Life comes to us with a club in its hand and strikes us upon the head and we become incapable of thought, helpless and defeated. The way to avoid that, according to our Lord, is to think. We must spend more time in studying our Lord's lessons in observation and deduction. The Bible is full of logic and we must never think of faith as something purely mystical. We do not just sit down in an armchair and expect marvelous things to happen to us. That is not Christian faith. Christian faith is essentially thinking. Look at the birds. Think about them. Draw your deductions. Look at the grass. Look at the lilies of the field. Consider them. The trouble with most people, he writes, however, is that they will not think. Instead of doing this, they sit down and ask, What is going to happen to me? What can I do? That is the absence of thought. It is surrender. It is defeat. Our Lord here is urging us to think and to think in a Christian manner. That is the very essence of faith. Faith, if you like, can be defined like this. It is a man insisting upon thinking when everything else determined to bludgeon and knock him down in an intellectual sense. The trouble with the person of little faith is that instead of controlling his own thought, his thought is being controlled by something else. And as we put it, he goes round and round in circles. This is the essence of worry. That is not thought. That is the absence of thought, a failure to think. And we as Christians are to think biblically, as Second Corinthians 10.5 says, we are destroying speculations and very lofty things raised up against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, to think the way that God would have us to think. To think biblically and say, is that how God would view it? Or is that how God would want me to think about the situation? So he gives us the things that we are to think about. And Paul lists a number of things here. He says the things that are true. The things that are true about our situation. About God. About His providence. We're to think about His power. God's provision. God's care. That He says, I will take care of you. That He says, I will be with you. I will never forsake you. How often is it though that we're worried because we're imagining or speculating about what other people might even think about us. And we spend our time thinking, well, how do they view us? Or how do I feel? How will people judge or look at me? Or how we're perceived versus what is actually true and what is happening? They're to be honorable thoughts or worthy of respect. Thoughts that don't look down upon others, that don't judge others with judgmental, critical thoughts. They're to be honorable, to be right thoughts, it says. Better translated, righteous thoughts. Things that are consistent with the Word of God. Things that are consistent. Not thinking about those things that are lying or deceiving or getting away with something. You'll find that people who who avoid doing what is right and thinking the right thoughts... Often have anxiety and fear because they fear being caught. They fear the judgment that comes from doing what is wrong because they have thought thoughts that are wrong to begin with. And Paul says, number four, to think thoughts that are pure, meaning holy or morally clean or undefiled. Our minds are to be filled with those things that are holy and morally clean Things in the media that we're exposed to, are they morally clean? Do we think upon those thoughts? The music that we choose to listen to, is that morally clean? Is it pure? Would God desire us to choose what we do choose? Would Jesus approve of the things that enter into our mind, that our thoughts are thinking on? Our thoughts are to be pure. Fifthly, they are to be lovely. Things that are sweet and gracious, generous and patient. This would mean that we think things conditioned with the benefit of the doubt. Grace in our thinking. Graciousness and understanding. Extending that graciousness in our thought life to others. So when people treat us in a way that is perhaps rude, or they cut us off on the freeway, they mistreat us, or, or they're, not, they're not kind, they may be hard on us, perhaps a way to think lovely would be to give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe that cashier had an awful day. Maybe that person who cut us off needs to get to the hospital. Maybe that person hasn't had a very good life they haven't ever really learned. or Maybe they don't know the Lord. To be lovely in our thoughts. Of good repute. Found here only in the New Testament. This word means to be highly regarded by others. That others, if they were able to see. And I've shared with, with you a number of times. About how I used to think as a kid on the playground. I'd, I'd sit there and one day I thought to myself. My goodness. You know, I was, always liked reading Garfield. And, and, and I thought to myself on the playground. What if? What if? Everyone, you know, maybe my thoughts, if they turn in these bubbles and there's a big cloud above my head, everybody can see my thoughts, like cartoons. I'd better be thinking good thoughts about them. If everybody could see that about your thoughts, would they say, wow, that is of good repute. I wish I thought as graciously and kind like that person. But would your thought life be in those bubbles, that of... Boy, disappointment and and bad thoughts that others wouldn't want to even look at. They're to be seventhly excellent or praiseworthy, respectable thoughts. Thoughts that others would bring praise to and say, Wow, praise God, they would admire your thinking. In summary, our thoughts are to be not filled with suspicions or speculations or thoughts of, of how can I get the best of someone else or thoughts that are filled with reading between the lines or thoughts of resentment or thoughts of, of taking advantage of others or thoughts of how we've been mistreated or whatever it might be or thoughts of fear that, in, that in strangle and consume our thinking. False ideas about what might happen to us. The what-ifs that consume our life. What do we think about? The Lord tells us these are the things that we are to dwell on. It's not just a passing thought, oh, I thought that's a nice thing, blah, blah, blah. But it's to be dwelling on those things. So ask yourself, what are the things that you think about all day long that consume your mind? Where can we find the things that we're to put into our minds so that we think rightly? They're the things in the Scriptures. I'll tell you, you know, in counseling situations, you find somebody who's really paralyzed by worry and fear, oftentimes the thoughts that are there are not God's thoughts. The thoughts that are there, you find many times that person struggles in their walk with the Lord. They're not spending time in His Word. They're not meditating upon all of the Psalms that bring calm and peace to our heart in times when the world may be falling apart. For their focus is on their situation or on the future or something that happened in the past or things that are perhaps even imaginary. Our goal is not to continually to try to change our circumstances as much as it is to change what we have inside our perspective and our thinking about the world. Do you want to not worry and be anxious? Change what you think about, change what you dwell on. Don't focus so much on the things that, well, what does so and so think of me or how are they treating me or focus on someone else or focus on failure or what grade am I going to get or need for the future. All of these things, but think on the things that are true, that are admirable, that are holy, that are pure, that are right. And take every thought captive to the word of God. Not only are we to think biblically if we're to alleviate ourselves of worry and anxiety, but we're to behave correctly, obeying God. We're to behave correctly. Verse 9. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul writes, practice these things and the peace, the God of peace will be with you. And the word practice connotes the idea of repetition, continual action. Doesn't mean, well, I'm just going to think about those things today. It means I repeatedly discipline my mind to think and obey the Word of God. That I repeatedly practice these things. Godly living, godly thinking comes preceding the peace that we're to maintain, the peace of God. And If we're going to have a, a life that is free from anxiety, we need to practice the things that we are to do that God wants us to do. You'll find that sometimes when people worry and are very anxious, they do some very irrational things. Irrational things. So, we can choose. We have a choice. We can obey God, thinking the right things and doing the right things and find peace. Praying to God with thanksgiving or we can take things into our own hands and worry. And many times you'll find too people who have a high degree of control in their life. They want everything to be in a particular order. They're perhaps a certain, quote unquote, what we might call personality that wants a great degree of control. And and when things are out of control... They struggle so much more with worry, anxiety. That's hidden in their hearts, and it manifests itself so oftentimes in physiological symptoms. So, whether it's our health, our future, our safety, our children, our business, or or whatever it might be, turn and run to God. God commands us to stop worrying. Do not be anxious for anything. But by prayer and petition, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Hudson Taylor, the missionary to China and the founder of Oversea Mission Fellowship, gave this advice. He said, quote, Let us give up our work, our plans, ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, our influence are all right into God's hands. And then, when we have given it all over to Him, there will be nothing left for us to be troubled about. Let's pray. Our Lord, You have granted to us the means That we can be free from worry and anxiety. The things that for some, Lord, here perhaps consume their minds. They may be valid concerns, O Lord, but they turn our hearts away from our worship of You. Our Lord, we pray, especially for those who may be constricted by many thoughts of worry and anxiety. And God, I pray that they might come before you trusting in the future that is in your hands. God, may they cast their cares upon you, trusting in your sovereignty, that you care for them, that you are a good God, that you will work all things out that no matter what the situation is, O God, I pray that You would give them that peace that transcends understanding, that will guard their hearts and their minds in You, that You care and You love them, and that, Father, You would wrap Your arms around them and that You would carry them through difficult times. Our God, may we not run to ourselves, but may we run to You because You are our Father. And we trust, Father, our lives into your hands. In Jesus' name, Amen.